Foster Care Nation. Listen up. Today is May 31st, 2022. If you're listening to this when it first comes out, today is the last day of Foster Care Awareness Month. And so, guys, we just wanted to push one last big um, little guilt trip on you and say, man, there's kids out there waiting who need some help. If you're not the person to do it, share an episode, share this around with some people, and um, help bring more people into the solution of this problem that we have in our society with all these kids who need a place to stay who need a family who need people who believe them to step up that's just all we can ask of you really is just to share an episode now if you'd like to support us a little bit further uh, monetarily we would love it that'd be awesome there's no need to but if you want to you could always come over to uh, patreon.com slash foster care nation or buymeacoffee.com slash foster care if you would like to support us in that way that would be awesome but really what we would prefer more than anything is just share these episodes and help bring more people into the fold of working to help kids from hard places thanks a lot you can forget a lot of things foster care nation but never forget this you're listening to unparalleled studios Signal. Foster Care Nation. Listen up. This is Foster Care and Unparalleled Terminator. Strength for the powerless. Courage for the fearful. Hope and healing for wounded hearts. Hello and welcome back to Foster Care and Unparalleled Journey with Jason and again, no Amanda. Sorry guys, we had to leave her out. There's a couple little ones running around the house today that she has to keep an eye on. We can normally keep the little ones wrangled up, but today they are, um, um, well, one and two basically. So that's not going to work to let them manage their own selves. So we, today you just got me again. And since I am not the guy you probably want to listen to talk all the time, uh, trust me, my kids, my wife, they tell me I do too much of it. Then we'll hear it all. So I brought in a guest and author, um, and a lady with an incredible story, Kim Peacock. How are you doing today, Kim? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, I'm glad to have found you. I, I don't even remember how we got connected, if it was a PR person somewhere. Somehow or another, we got connected, and I went and listened to your story on a couple places, and my gosh, do you have a story. I mean, like, quite the story, and I wanted to talk to you about it just because there's some success, there's some hard stuff, and these are the stories that, that really define what we do in our lives. So how did you get involved in foster care in, in the first place? Well, our first um, experience with adoption um, was we adopted our son, Alex, from Russia, and uh, that was way back in 1997, and uh, we had a blended family anyway, so that story in itself was very um, defining for us. It went way outside of our comfort zones, Um, but unfortunately, a year after we adopted our son, um, our daughter, Nicole, um, passed away in an accident. So we went from trying to get used to having this little Russian guy running around and helping him adapt to, um, grieving our daughter. So at that point, I thought I would never, um, want to open up my heart again to even, even the thought of foster care. 
but we were approached by a family member who um, had some relatives that were removed from their home um, and two little boys that were removed from their home. And they wanted to know if we were willing to adopt them. So we started in, um, we were at the time lived in California. We started with the adoption, I mean, with the foster care process, because that is the beginning of adoption there. And um, the boys ended up going back to their um, birth parents. They ended up going back three separate times. So I called the social worker and told her I would, we were going to be pulling out of the process because I just did not want to risk my heart for that. It just felt like, especially so soon after losing our daughter, I thought foster care would be too risky for me. Um, she convinced us to stay and that's how our adventure in foster care um, began. And it was quite an adventure. You know, some of those caseworkers, I think, um, I think they should be like car salesmen. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, it's true. I and I was dead set against it because I just thought, oh, this is too going to be too hard um, on our hearts. You know, you're going to have these kids. You're going to get attached. They're going to go back or whatever. Whatever the situation, every situation is different. But um, and I thought there was no way. And but she convinced me that it was a need and it would be okay. And she would help me walk through the process. And she did. She was great. Yeah. Well, and I mean, our stories have a little bit of similarity there having, having lost a daughter, you know, down to almost the exact same age. And mm -hmm. when I've heard your story in the past, I'm not going to say that, that I left those podcasts with, with dry eyes and a, and a, a smiley face because that you guys went through some stuff, right? I mean, right as a husband and wife, as, as bio parents, as, as adoptive parents, uh, you know, foster parents, like all those little pieces in part have its own piece in the story, you know, and to have, to have said goodbye to a daughter, I'm just going to say, I'm at, I've got a little guy tattooed on my chest right here. All right. Mm -hmm. that, Carl's tattooed over my heart for a reason. Carl stole the the heart of everyone in the family. And when Carl went home to, to some biological placement, he went to a good place. Um, it, he had a, had a, a family member that had, and she was a, an elderly gal, I guess you would say old enough. She was on a fixed income and she had some, some storms came through and, and ripped the roof off of her house. Welcome to Missouri where we have tornadoes mm -hmm. and, um, some, some scrupulous, uh, insurance, bait and switch company came in and they're going to fix her roof. And then they took her money and ran. And so on a fixed income, she had to figure out how to get her roof fixed so that this little guy could come stay with her. And so he stayed with us for his first year of life. And I'm just going to say when he left, like it was so, it was horrible. We picked up the family that weekend, went out of town, took it, just took a long weekend down in Memphis. Just, we couldn't come home to see all the baby stuff. It was killing us. And, and it was so hard. And for a long time, I said, that's as close to losing a kid as I ever want to experience. Turns out it was right. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to ever get that close again. But then, because that's part of the foster system, is that if everything works right, kids are reunified with parents who've decided to change their lives and go out and take care of their kids. And that's amazing when it happens. It doesn't happen as much as it should, but it's amazing. But when, when it does, we have a kid ripped out of our heart. Yeah. And that's, that's the goal yet. Um, it's devastating because we try really hard. Um, and I thought in the beginning that I was not supposed to get attached like, okay, well, I'm not supposed to get attached. Well, the 
how can you love a hundred percent? How can you love these children the way they need to be loved and, and do that and be effective. Um, you have to love a hundred percent, but be willing to let go. And that comes with every time one of those little people leave you, you do grieve and it's really grieving over and over and over it's it. And it's intentional because that's, that's what we hope the plan is that they would go, they would be whole and they would be able to be reunified with their family and that it would be a healthy, good situation. The messed up part of it is that we intend to grieve, right? Yeah. Because if you don't grieve, the kids leaving, man, did you really have that connection that they needed? Right. Right. And it's hard. It's hard to dive in deep. Um, and then do that, do that intentionally. But um, we learned very quickly that um, it wasn't about us and our, our comfort in this because, um, and it wasn't to fulfill anything in us, because if you do foster care to fulfill something in you, it's, it's going to have really, really bad consequences. That's not the focus. And to be able to help these kids, maybe usher them into a different season of their life. Um, it's hard, but it's in so many ways satisfying. And um, to know that hopefully you've, you've played a little part in helping them to be as healthy as they can. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, all that talk about grief in our lives and it's something that we bring in willingly because even though it's hard, it's still needed. It's still good to do if you do it right. You know, but as you look back over that, you know, I don't know exactly how old you and your husband are, but I know that my wife and I, we, we've been doing it for, I don't know, not quite a decade and a half, you know, 13, 14 years, something like that. And it's taken, it's had its moments where it tried to take its toll on our marriage and we had to work really hard through that. So for all the foster parents out there, the foster moms, the foster dads who are going through this, how have you guys managed to keep your sanity and, and keep a marriage together while you're grieving? That's one of been one of the biggest challenges. When I, when we lost our daughter, Nicole, um, we really had to become intentional about allowing each other to grieve in our own ways because everybody grieves differently. So that was one big part um, that introduced us to fighting for our marriage during grief. And then years later, when we started um, into the foster care system, we both also had to allow um, that that room to have respect for each other to grieve in those different ways. I grieved the foster kids in a different way when they went back home or went into a different situation than he did. And so because he's a fixer, he thought that he could fix everything and fix these little people at first. And then when we realized that you can't, you can't fix another person with loving them. You can just love them and, and hope that that influence, you know, permeates them and helps them along their way, but it's not ours to fix them. And so that was one thing I had to allow him to work through that process, but in any kind of grief, it's really important to respect each other's for the lack of better words, grieving style, because we all grieve differently and each situation is different. Uh, for me, uh, we, one of the early placements we had was a little, um, newborn baby, five, five days old. And, um, 
and he was little, he was a preemie, he was tiny. And so I had to, he was in my arms for three months, solid, trying to work things out with him. And I knew that he was going to probably go back to his mom. And, and we had such a great story ending with that. But when he left, I physically hurt. And my husband, you know, said, well, you knew the whole time that you're going to let him go. You know, we, this is what we wanted. Right. But he was so good. He just kind of allowed me to be in that hard place. And, um, years later, I had the opportunity to see that mom, um, and that little boy, of course he didn't know who I was, but the mom came up and she gave me the biggest hug. And she said, I just want to thank you for being involved in, um, I'll just call him Jason's life. Um, I just want to thank you because, because of you, uh, he was in a safe place and it was really cool to be able to see that on the other side, but that grieving in between there, it was hard. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we, we all hope for, for those moments of getting to see how it all pans out. And mm -hmm. unfortunately a lot of us don't ever get to see that. You know, we, we've got a few kids that we, we watch through maybe some, some parents, social media stuff, you know, from a distance, because if they don't want a connection, I'm not going to try and force that, you know, but at the same time, it, it makes my heart feel, you know, feel good when I get to see those smiles show up in pictures and mm -hmm. I see them at the pumpkin patch in the fall or at the zoo in the summer and they're out living a life of a normal kid and you go, wow, like we had a, we had a hand there and I can, I can see, I can see that coming around to something beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's a, that's a blessing. Most of our situations haven't, um, we haven't gotten to see a glimpse into that, but that one gave me just a little bit of hope to go, okay, you know, this this is something that um, is valuable. And every day that I get to love on these kids is a blessing for them and a blessing for me too. It, ex it actually expands our hearts. Uh, you know, it hurts. And the, the problem is the more open, the more soft your heart is, the more it hurts when they go. But uh, it's so valuable. And these little people need us, need people just to step in that gap um, in between the system, you know, whether it's an, a night or, you know, three months, like with this, the little newborn, or I had, um, one long-term placement, she was over two years and, uh, and I still am in contact with her today. She, she calls me mama and, you know, she, it's, it's a blessing, but there's a lot of those in-between stories that I don't know whatever happened. Yeah. Yeah. We have mostly those, those stories where we will never know what happened. You know, man and I really kind of focus on younger kids. And so there's a good possibility that once they go to a solid family foundation somewhere, whether that's back being reunified with family members, or if it's, if it's something entirely different, they end up adopted into a different home. But you know, a lot of times people just don't want to bring that up to the kid. And so it's our job for our own curiosity to, to watch from a distance and, you know, you mentioned something about your husband, just, just so you know, it's not just your husband. We all men, we're all fixers. That's, yeah. that's why we, you know, most of us have a tool belt somewhere, even though I'm not really sure what's supposed to go in that pouch right there, but, <laughs> but I have it, doggone it. <laughs> <laughs> just in case. So I look like I know what I'm doing and I'm just, I'm, I'm just, a, I mean, I have a, a construction project coming up. I'm supposed to build a chicken house for my son and he wants to have a half a dozen chickens. And I'm like, Oh dear God. <laughs> I'm glad there's no code on how these houses get built because 
<laughs> but we had that fiction mentality. That's he wanted some chickens, and so I'm going to go build a chicken house here coming up soon. Mm-hmm. And, and you know that's that fixer in us. But the truth is, what I've learned is, it's not our job to fix other humans. Mm-hmm. Our job is really just to create a space where where they can begin to heal themselves. Exactly. And that's yeah. so hard for us guys to accept. Mm-hmm. It is. It is because you want to be productive, you know, and you want this to count and it does count. It just may not look the way that we picture it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, if we go back to the beginning, you're talking about the, the very first little boy that you guys adopted from Russia. I'm curious, what is it that, that brought you to the place where you decide, yeah, we want to adopt a kid because that's not everybody's thought process. No, and it wasn't ours. We, um, we had um, each a daughter from our previous marriages, and then we had one biological daughter. Um, so we had three little girls. We thought we were done. We thought everything, you know, this was the way our family, what our family was going to look like. And I went to a church up in Sacramento, and they were talking about Russian adoptions. And I was so moved. And I thought, wow, that's weird. Are we supposed to adopt? And I mentioned it to my husband and he said, no, Larry said, (laughs) we are not going to adopt. Maybe we need to give money. Maybe it's money we need to send to Russian orphans or this. And I said, well, just pray about it. So poor guy, every time he turned on the radio for the next year, um, that's all he, all he heard was Russian adoptions, Russian, this Russian, that. And so he, he, he did pray about it and I just kind of let it go. So it was about a year it well no it may have been a little more than that and we um and he said okay if i turn on the radio and there's one more story about russian adoptions we'll do it and lo and behold they're on focus on the family i think it was said had a story about a russian adoption so there was a family in our church who also had adopted from russia so we just asked them about it and um we started the process and uh so it's a really long kind of, or it was now it's not a process at all, but it was a real long process. And so the first little boy that they showed us a video of, we went around, showed our daughters, is this, you know, let's pray about it. What do you all think? And we took a vote and everybody said yes. And uh, we got our passports and we went to Russia and we were there for 10 days and went to court and went through all the process there, which was just the craziest adventure. I had never been out of the country. And uh, it was very, very, um, it shook me up just to see, you know, see the process and, and be outside of my comfort zone. And we brought little um, Alex home, he was four years old at the time, and didn't speak any English, put him on a 11 hour flight from Germany. (laughs) And, uh, but he's an amazing young man. He's grown up. He's going to be 29 this year. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. God has an interesting sense of humor sometimes. Yeah. And I will say Dr. Dobson, somebody ought to tell him just how big his influence is because yeah. our story involves me having heard Dr. Dobson say some things on his show. And, and I, I was, I grew up in a church that, that wasn't very spiritually healthy for me as a young kid. Um, and 
I was listening to, to him talk one day, and he says, if one family out of every third church in America would adopt one kid out of the foster care system, we would empty the system tomorrow. And I thought, see, see all you religious people, you think you're so high and mighty and, and you're not really, I mean, orphans and, and widows, right? That's what we're supposed to be taking care of. And right. you guys aren't doing it. You know, you're not doing your job and the church is not this real thing. And, and this little voice in the back of my head is like, yeah, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's and true. I, yeah. And I'm like, oh crap. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is true. And, and it's funny how, um, I would, I wish we could have a little chat with, um, Dr. Dobson and just let him know the influence because, uh, even just in our two stories, there is, if, if one person just does something and it's not, and I'm sure you would probably feel the same way. It's not because we're great or brave or, strong or any of that. We went through that whole process with our knees shaking and knocking and like, what the heck? And we didn't do everything right. Uh, it wasn't, it wasn't this smooth little process that it seems like it is on this side. Nothing is, everything is messy in adoption and in foster care. It's just messy, but, um, that doesn't mean it's bad. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you mentioned that there was one particular guy. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Uh, if any of the any old guests on here are, are listening, I can't remember your name. Don't feel bad. I have a hard time remembering my name, my kid's name, and I have one named after me. So, yeah, it's I can't remember the guy's name. I can see his face, though. But he talked about, you know, they had adopted their daughter from China. And it was a process that involved some behavior that looked less than legal. You know, it was 20 something years after the process he was talking about it. But, you know, he he had to get into China with like twenty thousand dollars undeclared yeah. cash and so yeah it's some of the things that 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 go on in, in that process are just like mind-blowing mm -hmm. but you know and and that's just it's just part of you know we do the things that that we feel are right and, right and i think it's important to, to kind of get a hold of what we think is really truly right you know there's so many people whether whether they're you know religious or spiritual or entirely secular in their belief system you know, we figure out what's right for us. And then you have to ask yourself, am I willing to do that thing that I believe is right? Mm -hmm. And it takes just one, you're completely correct. It takes one step. Um, it does, you don't, don't want to look at the big picture because sometimes it's scary, but just taking one step in the right direction and being willing to go outside your comfort zone, because I think it's so easy. Um, and I, I'm addicted to comfort. I like my little comfortable little world. So thinking about adopting or opening your home to, in, in any situation to other people, you know, to people who are hurting, that seems scary and risky, but um, that's what we're called to do for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's, it's a calling in my, in my humble opinion, in, in my mm -hmm. experience, it was, I would not have done this right if it wasn't a calling. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if it wasn't something that I felt led towards, I would not have done it right. But I am right there with you. I am a fan of comfort. I have my, my latte here that I made on my machine here at my house because, because I love my coffee and, and I like uh -huh. all my little comfortable things. And this is my desk and I work really hard to keep the kids away from it because I have my things here and this is comfortable. This is what I like. Right. And I don't want to step outside of that. Right. But let me tell you something. You bring, you bring a little one into your home they're not going to respect your, your stuff because mm -hmm. that, well, because a lot of times they don't know how to at that age anyways, let alone, you know, all the, whatever their backstory is, what are their trauma, their, their experience in life. 
oftentimes did not teach them certain parts of respect for other people's property and things. And, you know, you can have your own biological kids and I will challenge you if you tell me that your kids knew what that was already either. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. For sure. I'm glad my kids aren't the only ones that have done that to me. (laughs) No, they're little people with their own little wills and minds and ideas. So they all are. I I would only disagree because mine, none of mine ever had a little will. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good point. That is a really good point. (laughs) Yeah. My kids have always had great, big, great, big giant. Yeah. Yeah. They want to do what they want to do. As a matter of fact, just yesterday and the, some of the things kids say to you, right? I had a kid run into the house. My my eight year old runs into the house. Mommy, mommy, Frankie broke the glass. Frank, what what glass? And we can't get him to tell, so we're both kind of hurrying outside. And we we have a lot of kids, so we have a suburban. We have you know big SUVs. So we run all these kids around, and the the back door window has been knocked out of the glass, and there is gravel laying around like in a pile and, and come to find out, I'm like, what's going on? I, so I dragged my little guy over and Frank, and I finally gave him to calm down enough to tell me what's I'm like, what's going on? He's we were playing dad, me and me and turtle. We were just playing. I said, what kind of game were you playing? He says, well, we were throwing rocks at each other. And the first one to he, get hit 20 times dies. Oh my word. <laughs> Dude, that's not a game. That's like that's like a biblical stoning. You're like, <laughs> yeah, this isn't a good game. Yeah, and the car didn't take twenty times. It only took one. It lost. Oh my word! <laughs> but yeah, you just like some of the things you come up against in this in this journey are just mind blowing. That I mean, let's be honest, little ones don't have a whole lot of neural processing power. We'll say it doesn't yeah. sound nice to say. You know, little boys are stupid, but we we all were i don't care what your background is it's yeah. i don't care foster adoption bio anything every one of us if we were a little boy we were probably really stupid at some point yeah when i told that story this morning to to a group of guys i was leading in the meeting the one guy messages me i all i can think about is all the roman candle wars we have and i don't know how i still have two eyes <laughs> <laughs> yeah how did you guys that's what i'll say to my husband how did you survive boyhood i don't even i have no idea the lord uh, had a ton of uh, guardian angels around him. And I'm sure all you guys, cause it was, you know, it was a hairy, hairy upbringing. And I can't believe the decisions that him and his cousins made. It's scary. I'm glad I'm not the only one because no. my God, some of the things we managed to survive. I mean, anybody who's a, who can't believe in a little bit of divine intervention just did not live my childhood. No, no. And I think it is just a boy thing. You know, it's just one of those, wild adventures that they ha- you guys have to survive through and not that little girls don't either but from my experience my three boys and my husband have given me every gray hair that i have for sure yeah i'm i've started naming mine after each gray hair after a different oh yeah <laughs> yeah i agree my kids say, Dad, you're you're getting old. Your hair's getting gray. And I'm like, Yeah, it's your fault. Just get yeah, over <laughs> it. It is. It's totally their fault. You were talking about going outside the comfort zone um and you know, doing things that are that feel uncomfortable. I was thinking about and it reminded me of our first placement. And this was after I told the social worker, I'm not going to do this. And she called and said, I just have an emergency placement. These two kids, um, these two kids were not picked up from school and nobody can get a hold of any relatives. You have to go get them. And so it was late at night and I ended up going to the, um, 
to the um um, to the offices there of the social worker and these poor little kids, you know, they were worn out. They were in elementary school and just worn out in the clothes they'd been wearing all day. And so, um, and their siblings, uh, Jose and April, and I ended up bringing them home and Jose, even though he was young, he was bigger than I was. He's a big, just a big old kid. And so I was a little scared. My husband was out of town. And, um, so I had to figure out they didn't have any clothes. You know, we didn't have, I didn't have beds set up or anything. And I brought them home, brought them to our house. We fed them the next day we went and, you know, bought toiletries and clothes for him. But, um, and I was scared all night. I didn't sleep at all. Cause I'm thinking I have these kids. I don't even know in my home and I only had them for a couple of days, but on the way to take them, um, back there, it was just a family mix up, just a weird situation. So I was going to take them back. The little boy said, Hey, Hey, from the back seat, I don't remember your name. What's your name lady. So he'd been with me for two days. And I told him, and he said, I will never forget you. And I was just, that's one of those things that have stuck with me. Um, even though it's scary, I was scared. I'm sure they were terrified. It's one of those things that we have the opportunity to make a lasting impression. And, you know, that little guy, he may never have thought about me again, but in that moment, it was, it was such a blessing to know that he felt safe. You had said a few minutes ago about creating a space and that's all it is, is that willingness to create a space for someone to, to have healing, to even just have a little bit of respite from their craziness. You know, I, I'm always reminded about, oh, it, the, our, the two, our very first two kids that we fostered ended up be, being adopted, um, into our home. And, um, right in the first couple few months of that, you know, it'd been a while since Amanda and I had been out and my, uh, my older sister offered to watch the kids one night and I think it was an anniversary or something like that. And so I'd, I'd set everything up. I did like, like the husband, I got bonus points for this one. I set everything up for the kids to stay with her. I booked the hotel. We got everything set up to have this wonderful night apart. And, um, that evening we're in the hotel, me and my wife says, let's, let's call and check on the kids. And so she, we, I called my sister and she said, Oh yeah. She said, I hate to tell you this, but I'm thinking, Oh dear God, what have they done? Right. <laughs> I know my kids, I, I know yeah. my kids and my older yeah. boys were there too. And, and they, they were those boys we're talking about earlier. Right. And she says, no, she says, as I was laying them down, um, Janaya, who's now our daughter, she said, she looks at me and she says, are you my new mommy now? Oh, oh my goodness. Broke. Oh. We're supposed to be out having a nice romantic, you know, evening out. Not, and, and it's like, oh, crap. That just, you know, like yeah. that hurts. But but it speaks to what she'd experienced. Exactly. And, and so, you know, some of those lessons that I've learned from kids have been some of the most impactful. What what's some of the really impactful lessons that the kids have taught you through your experience? Oh, that's a great question. I think. um to let go of my expectations of what any individual will do or be or feel that every little person has their own God-given spirit that they, you know, a lot of them are so broken that they don't even, it's so suppressed, but it's in there and that I need to be able to allow them to 
be that person and to, you know, and to uh, help them usher in the healthy part of that and what that looks like. And I think just no ex- letting go of those expectations of, of what other people should be or do or any of that, because that's not my place. Um, that's good. God created them in a, in a unique way. And my only place is to, um, hopefully give them boundaries during that process, you know, because when they're in my home, they're going to have boundaries, but also to love them, um, with no expectations. And that's, it's a hard, it was a hard lesson for me because I always thought I could, um, love people into wholeness. And my picture of what wholeness looked like did not, I didn't take in consideration the, the journey that every single person, um, who's broken. And in, in a sense, we're all broken. Um, but every person who's broken needs to, um, go through their own journey. Oh yeah. Yeah. We all think we know what's best, you know? Yeah. Yeah. What's the, the, the old Van Zant song. I I quote this one all the time. If you want to hear God laugh, just tell him your plans. Yes, exactly. Yep. It's true. And because we think that we have it all figured out and, um, and the older I get though, I do realize I know nothing. I, I cringe at some of my um, preconceived ideas in my earlier years. So um, we don't really know anything and we just need to, you know, walk alongside people the best that we can and love people the best that we can. Cause that's our directive, you know, is just to love people, love God and love people. So if I, if I just stick to that, um, he'll take care of my sadness and my grief. It's hard. It doesn't, it sounds very simple. It sounds very easy. It's not easy. Um, but it is simple. It, it is one of those things that if we just continue to walk through and give our pain to God, you know, let him take care of the, the results, then, you know, that's, that's the best thing that I can do, um, with my life. And my purpose. The right answer is almost never complicated and it's almost Uh, always hard. Oh, I like that. Yeah. That's so true. It's yeah. My, our daughter, Lisa, who was from my husband's first marriage, um, when she was little, we're trying to explain to her this rule and she's like, but that's hard. It was a boundary. And I don't remember what the particular rule was. And she stepped back and she's this little tiny person. And she goes, mommy, a good rule is a hard rule. And so we, we always say that. And that's really true. It may always be, uh, it may be hard, but it's usually simple and complicated. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a Some of the wisdom of toddlers is, mm-hmm. is really, man, yeah. it makes us realize how dumb we are, how much we've <laughs> learned and grown and, and we're still stupid a lot of times. Exactly. Exactly. We still say that if the, something's hard is like a good rule is a hard rule. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. That sounds like something I need to teach my kids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so so now I know, you know, I know you've got some some kids from hard places. You know, what have been some struggles that you, that you've found some way and some ways that you've dealt through those struggles? You know, we've got kids, you know, with you know, diagnoses of dissociation and, and ADHD and, and on and on and on, like our house is full of acronyms. Um, but but what have been some ways that you guys have, have worked through that? Um, and because every individual is so different, we've just kind of had to, um, treat each one 
according to their own particular needs. But one of the long-term placements that we had, she just struggled with impulse control. Um, and she um, later was diagnosed with bipolar, but up and down um, and that impulse control. And so we, what we, one of the things that we learned was we just wanted to give her fun and to do all this fun stuff with her. But what we realized is we were constantly overstimulating her with, you know, the big fun thing, you know, the big exciting thing. And so what we learned is we, you got for her, we needed to keep it kind of even because, um, kids that struggle with extremes, if you try to make the big thing, you know, overstimulation, um, can really throw them into, you think this should be fun. Like Disneyland should be fun and they're having a meltdown. So we learned to keep things really simple with her. Um, our son, Alex, when we adopted him from Russia, it was kind of the same way. They told us to keep things simple. We thought we knew better and we ended up taking him to the circus while we were in Russia. <laughs> it wasn't a good, it wasn't a good, um, experience for him or for us. And we learned very quickly overstimulation for, you know, kids, their nerves are, are very raw. And so you have to be really careful to not expect to have this big, exciting thing. So that was one of the struggles because we wanted to just give them these great experiences, these big experiences, but a lot of times um, it caused them more um, trauma than it did. You know, they just needed kind of even things. It doesn't mean you don't have fun, but you just kind of keep it even. So that was one of the things we learned with a lot of the kids that we've had um, is just routine is super important. Boundaries are super important, um, for any of the, the kids that are, um, that are struggling because they don't, nothing feels safe for them and boundaries, they feel safe. They help them to feel safe. Yeah. Something that a lot of us are not very good with, you know, that whole boundaries thing. And I think the book's actually on our website um, called Boundaries, mm -hmm. and um, Dr. Henry Cloud and Townsend, I think is who it is, and they have one out there about boundaries with kids, and and yeah, it's if you're if that's not your strong point and you're not a genius with that stuff, I suggest anybody go go learn something about it, and why it's there, and how you do it, and what makes it work out well. Um, but while we're talking about books, you have a book called um, Victorious Heart, right? Yes. Um, Victoria's heart is just our, um, is our journey about the loss of our daughter, Nicole. And it's not just about our story, but it's meant to be a guidebook to help people walk through grief and grief comes in all different kinds of situations. But for us, that was our first experience with just such a tragic loss. She died in an accident. We saw the accident. Um, we were with her. And so just very, it, took everything that we thought we knew about our lives and made us question and put us in a really hard place for a while. And so Victoria's heart is meant to help someone walk through that type of grief, um, as a guidebook. Yeah. Yeah. No, um, I'm trying to remember. There was a story behind the name of that book. Wasn't there? Yeah. Um, shortly after her funeral, a good friend of mine gave me a bookmark and it had her name, Nicole, at the top. And underneath it had the meaning of her name, which is Victoria's Heart. And that 
describes Nicole so much. Those two words. She was wild. She was free. She um, loved people unconditionally. And she definitely had a victorious heart. So when I saw that bookmark, it really became um, a mantra for me to, to try to live my life in that way. And so, and then as I was writing the book, I thought that would be the perfect, perfect title to describe how I feel like we can live, we can still grieve, but we can still, but at the same time, have a victorious heart. It doesn't seem like those two things can coexist, but they can. Yeah. It's amazing how many places in nature that two seemingly opposite sort of things kind of coexist in peace. And, and we didn't even think it was possible. Exactly. Yeah. 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 You have a website. It's um, wildvictoriousheart.com, right? Yes. Yeah. And on my website, there's some more interviews um, like this one or different types of things. There's resources on there. I write a blog that um, I hope will bring encouragement to people struggling through any type of grief um, or even just struggles in general. So, and there's ways to contact me on there. So that's um, a good way to get a hold of me or to find some good resources. Okay. Yeah. We'll make sure that's all down there in the show notes where people can get a hold of you, find your stuff, find your book. And we talked a little before we recorded and, and the audible version is, is in the works maybe hopefully it's, it's in the baby stages, but yes, I really needed to for quite a while um, record it. It's going to be a little hard to record. So I'm in the baby stages of getting that, but I'm hoping by um, this time next year, it will be out and um, available on audible. So April of 23, I can download the book and, and <laughs> listen to it because as most people have heard, I drive for a living. So I listen to yeah. books. I do not have time to sit and read. Uh, if yeah. the kids are in bed, I have time to take a nap. That's what that. Yeah. Well, and I'm the same way. I very rarely pick up um, unless it's a fictional book I might read before I go to bed. But most of my reading is on audible or audio. So I I'm with you. I am. So I know that it's needed. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. You know, we don't, we don't have a lot of good guidebooks on grief and it's something that, you know, I, my wife and I have walked through with our story, obviously. Um, and I'll be honest with you. Once I started learning how to be vulnerable and open that story up to other people, I have run across so many people in this world who have some level of that sort of an experience in their own life. And most of them never had any help walking through it. And right it's easy to do, you know, to do it. And I don't want to say the wrong way, but the hardest possible way. And I mean, I, I full disclosure, I did the wrong way and I will call it the wrong way because I climbed down in a whiskey bottle and I swam laps for a while. And that is the wrong way. Trust me. <laughs> Trust me. It's, I, I can tell you why I experienced that, but, but yeah, there's not a, there's not a real good guidebook that I found on how to handle that kind of grief. And, and even if you've never lost a child, you know, as a foster parent, if you have set so many of these kids back to places that maybe you didn't agree with the judge's decision to send them back home. We don't get the final say in that. Right. Yeah. And there is true grief in that. And um, I think that that's one thing that's, it's hard as you walk through that uh, because you know, it may not be in the best situation and there's nothing you can do about that. I have a chapter in the book um, called letting go. And it's, it's not specifically about that, but even just, letting go of those things that we can't control and going through that process and how important that is because otherwise we're going to be walking around weighted all the time and we can't, then it renders us useless to, to be effective in our lives, you know, and what we've been called to do. 
Yeah. Yeah. And when we don't learn those lessons and then we model that stuff for all these kids who come into our home, we model that behavior for them. And then, you know, they get older and we're surprised that they're making all the mistakes that we made in life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It just perpetuates. Yeah. It's, it's a great way to, to learn how to step through some hard stuff. Well, Kim, I appreciate your time today. I really do. And your story and your openness, because I'll be real honest. I have not gotten in a whole lot of places and shared the the real depths of our story with the child loss. You know, we've shared a lot of, of the foster care stuff, but we haven't shared a lot of that stuff. That's it's been seven years now. Yeah, mm-hmm. coming up on the seventh anniversary, and I still don't know if I can if I can really tell that story in the way it needs to be told and and maintain any kind of composure. And, and I'm still dealing with that kind of stuff. So I am just so thankful that that you're at a place in your life where you're able to, to share that that experience and the lessons learned with others so that you can take a tragedy in this world and turn it into something beautiful, helping others. Mm, thank you so much. Well, well, it's great talking to you. And I want to just remind everybody that if the, if, um, you want to find Kim's book. If you come to the website, fostercarenation.com up at the top, there's a tab called book resources. If you're on mobile, it's, I think a little thing on the side, but that's where all the tabs are. And in book resources, it will be listed in there. Um, if you're listening in the the EU full EU disclosure here, it's, um, it's probably an Amazon affiliate link. So I probably get like, like three or maybe seven cents. If you click on that link, I don't care. Go find it straight on Amazon. It doesn't really matter. Just go find it. If this is something that you need in your life, go find it and get some wisdom from somebody who's walked a hard road. So thank you again, Kim, for your time. I really do appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's been a, it's been a huge blessing. Okay. Foster care nation. Thank you for listening to Kim's story. Now take her knowledge and wisdom to heart so you can create love and healing in your family and community. Be sure to come back next week. We have new episodes every Tuesday. If you'd like to share your story as a guest, you can reach us at Jason at fostercarenation.com. You can connect with other like-minded people on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash foster care UJ. And don't forget, we have a Patreon account where you can support our mission for as little as $5 a month. It's at patreon.com slash fostercarenation. The links to everything are in the show notes in your podcast player or at fostercarenation.com. And as always, you are so super awesome. I thank you guys. Thank you for listening. Thanks, thanks, thanks. Unparalleled Studios. Studios.